Toyota is the number one best-selling car in the world. You probably know that. But what you should know is where the best place is to buy the best-selling cars. Look no further than Atlantic Toyota on the Linway in Lynn. Atlantic Toyota Inlet has the largest selection at the lowest prices. With a friendly and knowledgeable staff, Atlantic Toyota Inlet can get you into the right Toyota right now. Atlantic Toyota has an extreme clearance event on all remaining 2017 models, large manufacturer rebates, low financing, as low as 0% on select models. Mention WEZE and you'll receive an additional $500 off all remaining 2017 models with already discounted prices. Supplies are limited, so hurry down to Atlantic Toyota Inlet for full details. Bring the whole family with a great play area for the kids. Atlantic Toyota in Lynn, the number one place to buy the number one car. Call them at 866-676-4000. Offer may not be combined with any other discounts or offers. Call 866-676-4000 today. Giant Tire Savings continue at all Sullivan Tire and Auto Service locations during our tremendous November sales event. Just in time for the holiday driving season. Buy three, get one free on all Goodyear and Kelly tires in stock. Plus, save up to $200 on select Goodyear tires, such as the new Goodyear Assurance Weather Ready Tire, with all-season performance for tough New England weather. Check out our new website, SullivanTire.com, where it's now easier than ever to find your tires online and make service appointments. That's SullivanTire.com. The Spirit of Austin, WROL. It's time for the Car Doctor on AM 950 WROL. Got a car question? Call us at 617-770-3030. That's 617-770-3030. Now, here's the car doctor, John Paul, on AM 950 WROL, the spirit of Boston. And good Saturday morning, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Car Doctor Program on AM 950 WROL, the Spirit of Boston, or maybe you listen on Sunday night on AM 1260 WBIX. My name's John Paul, the Car Doctor, here to help you with your car problems on this Saturday morning. Uh, we've got a good show planned for today. We're going to be talking to Chris Russell from Paragon Group about auto shows coming up in the near future, as well as we're going to be doing a review of the 2017 Jeep Compass Latitude Uh Got a little interesting automotive news out there. Uh, don't know if you were watching. I don't even know if I, I – two things I don't know about this morning, whether I was in the Globe this morning, because on my way to work, I was all confused. It was, there was a detour. They detoured me around in circles and back and forth, and uh, I wasn't sure I was going to get here, so I didn't stop at my usual stop to uh, pick up the Globe, so I assume I was in the Globe. And last night I was supposed to be on WBZ TV – uh, to talk about, uh, of all things, rotaries and roundabouts. Apparently in Massachusetts, we're doing away with rotaries and turning them into roundabouts. So what's the difference between a roundabout and a rotary? A lot or a little, depending on who you talk to. So maybe we'll talk about that a little bit. Uh, and, of course, we'll play a little bit of trivia. Uh, we gave away some tickets to the Connecticut Auto Show last week. We'll do that again this week. And uh, maybe we'll do another separate trivia prize. But right now on the phone with us is Chris Russell, Chris Russell from Paragon Group, to talk about the Connecticut Auto Show and actually auto shows in the not-too-distant future. Good morning, Chris. Good morning, sir. How are you? Thank I'm you good. for having me back. Well, um, usually people don't come back, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> they usually come on once. They usually come on once, and they go, we're never coming back again. You know. I wasn't horribly scared last time, so I'm glad to be back. <laughs> 
but anyway, uh, uh, it's it's uh, auto show season. Uh, you know, SEMA was uh, just finished up in Las Vegas. Uh, uh, L.A. Auto Show, Detroit Auto Show. Locally, though, Connecticut Auto Show is right around the corner, right? Kicking off the season in uh, Connecticut and Hartford the uh, weekend before Thanksgiving. Yes, and uh, it's kind of a kind of an odd, an odd. I mean, interesting way. You guys have sort of the early, early, early electric there, and you have the latest, latest, latest model electric as well, right? That's the most exciting part of this show for me is that when the, uh, the guests come into the show, they will see their great-grandfather's luxury EV, the 1922 Detroit Electric. This is the luxury first luxury vehicle, and it was electric, and this is the vehicle that Henry Ford bought his wife Clara to drive. And uh, what I learned doing the research is that in the 1900s, the electric vehicle was as popular, if not more, than the gas or steam engine. The gas engine was called the explosion engine because of all the combustions. And the electric car was most popular with women because it was easier to get in and turn on, and with doctors because they didn't have to do the shift and the crank and the transmission and all that other stuff. They could just get in and go to their patients. So our guests can see the first luxury EV, and then walk through the time machine, the door, and then see a litany of where the future has gone with the technology. It's quite amazing. That's the fact. We've got more than ever before. Yeah, it's sort of it's sort of interesting, and 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 I kind of still say it, although I'm probably not as accurate. But you know, the turn of the last century, you could buy, a, and you mentioned it, you could buy a car that ran on gasoline, you could buy a car that ran on a settling, you could buy a car that ran on diesel, you could buy an electric car, or I don't know, you could buy one that ran on wood chips, I don't know, something. And and today and today you can buy a car that runs on a hundred percent batteries, hybrid, half battery motor, half internal combustion gasoline. You can buy a diesel. You can buy, you know, someday a hydrogen car. So it it's almost like what happened more than a hundred years ago is starting to happen again, where the consumer will be able to go in, check a box, and go. You know, I don't want the gasoline one. I want the gasoline hybrid, or I want the straight electric. And I think the future for people may be that. Uh, you know, it depends on your driving style, what you need, what you expect out of your car is is going to be what propels it. These vehicles are. When I do research on these vehicles, I have to go to PC Magazine because they're computers just as much as they are automobiles. And doing the research on this current crop of, of vehicles coming through, the technologies have trickled down to every model now. And it's really important to when they're talking to the public about the interiors and the cabins. And as you're saying, I, I see the future as gas stations being replaced with comfort stations and having a very comfortable cabin inside where it's all connected mm-hmm. to every vehicle and you can watch your movies and get your 4G or 5G or whatever the future tape but, And then when you get to, um, your, if you need to stop at your desk before your destination, you stop and you plug in and you gas up or you charge up or whatever you do, and they're more convenience areas. And then you just continue on. But these vehicles are getting stronger, they're getting lighter, they're getting more powerful. Um, they're starting to collaborate the technologies together. So we're seeing these vehicles can go further, and uh, they're very comfortable to be in as well. So all the future indicates that it's going to be bright if you're into automotive because you're going to see these vehicles that are technologically sophisticated, they're connected to each other. I mean, some of these advanced uh, safety features and some of these um, technologies, right now it's very standard to have blind spot monitoring or a real cross traffic alert or 
forward collision warning. That's just common. Two years ago, that was something that you have to pay extra for. Now yeah. it's standard. Yeah, you you make an absolutely good point. Every once in a while, one of one of our uh, editors at work says to me, "Hey, can you write a story about you know what's new and hot in the automotive industry?" And I'm like, "You know what was?" And that was it. You know what was new and hot was rear cross traffic alert, automatic emergency braking. But I'm like, it's not really new anymore because it's been out for you know nine months, and we're going to start to see it in every single model of car within the next year or so. So even though it's new and exciting, it's it's starting to be. It's not just in you know a uh, hundred thousand dollar Mercedes Benz. It's in a. Yeah, I remember. I you know I I was a little bit surprised. I got into a Mitsubishi Mirage and it had push button start, and I'm like, wow, you know. And this is in a you know this is in just about the cheapest car you can buy, and it had an accessory that a few years ago you'd only find in you know some of the most luxurious vehicles. And you're an expert, so you see all the vehicles, you try them all. But to the general public, this might be the first time they actually have access to understand what it means to be an automated vehicle. They may think that automation means that it drives itself. That's not what it means. And this is a chance for them to actually sit in the cabins in the interiors and try them out and feel them. And they're going to see how nice these vehicles have really become and how comfortable they are. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a real good point because... There was a there was a point in probably the last fifteen years or so, cars got the materials got a little bit thin, I think, and now all of a sudden you're getting into cars. And I remember, uh, I I think I I made a little bit of news by just a throwaway line one time that I was in a pickup truck and I flipped down the sun visor and it had a lighted vanity mirror in it. I said, who would have expected a lighted vanity mirror in a pickup truck? But now we're seeing all of these like you said, very comfortable accessories that are in everything from economy cars to sport utility vehicles to pickup trucks to the finest uh, sedans on the market. The new Ford EcoSport, you know, base price $20,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's gadget-friendly. It's got USB ports. It's got 12-volt outlets. It's got, um, for the front and back seats, it's got 30 storage pockets, bins and hooks of all different sizes that that. Think 3 software and an 8-inch touchscreen. It seems like all these vehicles now have these really sophisticated touchscreens for their um, interface. And that's the exciting part as well because everyone's starting to incorporate the GPS, never mind connecting your cell phone and mm. using it. But now it's helping you with the traffic and it's helping you with um, all the different aspects of your commute. Right, it is. The technology is amazing. What's great about an auto show, and you kind of, you kind of touched on it lightly, is you you go in. It's it's essentially one ticket, and it's a whole bunch of cars to sit in and touch. And and where I always thought, uh, you know, maybe maybe the the people at the booth don't know everything about the car. I found that the people at the booths are amazingly well read on the vehicles that they're presenting. Those are really well-trained product specialists who go through weeks of training, and I try to stump them every so often. It's hard. Yeah. Also, an iPad at the fingertips too, just in case you ask a really hard question or something obscure. But they're trained professionals there to uh, inform you, not to sell you, to inform you on the vehicle, and that's key because there's no pressure. Now it's a matter of you can ask a question that you you may not want to ask in a dealership, and uh, I find them to be nice people as well. 
Yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they're great people to talk to, and especially the ones that go kind of from show to show. They're so you're, they're so proficient in what they have, and they're not going to try to sell you a car. They're going to try to inform you, let you know about it, and then they, then you're going to be you're going to know what you need to know, and then you can go to a dealer and go buy the car if you want. We've also got a couple of other uh, showcases. We've got a supercar showcase with some Ferraris and a uh, Lamborghini. And there's one particular very rare 2017 Ferrari TDF. Ooh. And my understanding is that's a half-million-dollar vehicle. So I'm excited to see that up close. Are you going to take it home one night? or um, Can I borrow a half-million dollars? <laughs> uh, if I had a half-a-million dollars to lend, lend you, I would. But I don't. <laughs> also, so. in Garage, which is new this year, and that's a um, Connecticut custom car. They've got a showcase they put together of Cobras and Camaros they've restored. And people can see those vehicles as well up close. That's going to be a real treat. Those are from the 1959 era. Um, and finally, um, people can also enter for a chance to win a year's worth of gas from Sitco, the Tri-King Clean Gasoline. So that's something else that's new to the show. Wow. Uh, and if they want to go online, it's ctautoshow.com. You'll save time. You won't play at the box office. And you'll also save $2. Your ticket price is only $10 that way. Military. If they bring their um, active retired ID, mm-hmm. military ID, they go to the box office, the show's free for them. Wow. And finally, on Friday, senior day, only $8 for seniors. How old, do you, have to be, how old do you have to be to be a senior? 65 or older. Good. I'm not there yet. <laughs> or or bad, I'm not there yet. One or the other. You know, it's <laughs> And, you know, Connecticut Auto Show's coming up, but uh, not too many months away. Boston Auto Show's right around the corner, right? We've got the New England Auto Show, um, MLK Weekend, and uh, one of the showcases here that I'm very excited about is Hypercar Highway. We are going to have Abogani, Abogadi, Enzo. The list keeps coming in. There's a uh, Rolls-Royce Phantom that is being produced online as we speak. Ooh. That will be a showcase, yes. Um, this is going to be a very special multi-million dollar showcase. Hmm. So you'll be hearing more about that. Yep. Yeah, we'll have you back. Don't worry. And, uh, yeah, so uh, the New England show is going to be fantastic, but Connecticut is uh, all good lined up to have a, a successful show, and it's only three days. So uh, buy your tickets now at ctautoshow.com or call in at the right time and win on the car doctor. Absolutely. Hey, Chris, always a pleasure. Thank you, sir. See you All right. Soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. It was Chris Russell from Paragon Group. Uh, uh, we are going to be giving away some tickets to the Connecticut Auto Show, but right now, why don't we take a break? Pay some bills. My name's John Paul. This is the Car Doctor Program. If you want to give us a call, the phone number is 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. Phone lines are wide open just for you. We'll be right back. Mustang Saturn. Just bought a brand new GTO. Giant Tire Savings continue at all Sullivan Tire and Auto Service locations during our tremendous November sales event. Just in time for the holiday driving season. Buy three, get one free on all Goodyear and Kelly tires in stock. Plus, save up to $200 on select Goodyear tires, such as the new Goodyear Assurance Weather-Ready Tire, with all-season performance for tough New England weather. Check out our new website, SullivanTire.com, where it's now easier than ever to find your tires online and make service appointments. That's SullivanTire.com. 
The more our family grew, the smaller our old car got. So we upgraded to a Honda Odyssey. It's from Kelly Blue Book's 2016 Best Value brand and comes with standard features like Bluetooth, so my wife can remind me of all the things I've forgotten to bring home. Ah, the diapers. Go to www.hondacarsofboston.com or 100 Broadway, Route 99 in Everett, Mass. Call 617-276-1179. Based on 2016 Burn Image Awards from Kelly Blue Book, visit kbb.com for information. See dealer for financing details. And now, today's Pathway Minute with Dr. Robert Jeffers. Over and over, we'll see in Luke's Gospel that the mark of a true disciple, a follower of Christ, is someone who loves other people unconditionally. Somebody whose life is marked by continual prayer, who persists in spite of suffering, who refuses to be attached to material things in this world. Jesus said there are going to be many people who are going to be surprised on the judgment day when they're going to be denied entrance into the kingdom of God. Jesus said they will cry out, Lord, Lord, how could you not allow me in? Jesus says in Luke 6, 46, And why do you call me Lord, Lord, if you do not do what I say? Dr. Robert Jeffress is heard Monday through Friday on your station. To learn more, go to ptv.org. If you're listening right now, you must like us. This is John Paul, the car doctor, heard every Saturday from 8.30 to 10 a.m. Join our fan club and let us thank you for listening to us by giving you special offers. Find out what they are by joining today at WROLradio.com. AM 950 WROL Boston, home of the Irish Hit Parade, Saturdays 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. service of Salem Media Group. Come and be affirmed of the strength the good Lord has given all women at Woman Strong. This year's Woman Strong Conference takes place November 18th from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. at Crossroads Worship Center, 241 Broad Street, Weymouth. And this year's keynote speaker will be the Reverend Jackie Scottoff, an amazing woman. I started to feel a fire burn, all the filth and all the sin and all the pain and all the loneliness. And I felt like I was new. I felt like I was new. Created. I felt pure, I felt clean, I felt decent and good. And I knew that the Lord Jesus Christ had touched my life. Women are encouraged to bring their daughters, nieces, age 13 and up for this compelling Woman Strong event. Lunch will be served. Woman Strong, November 18th, 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., Crossroads Worship Center, 241 Broad Street, Weymouth. RSVP at Eventbrite, linked at WRLradio.com. Listening to the Car Doctor. And welcome back to the Car Doctor Pro. Jeff's Jeff's mixing up the music here. That's good. That's good. We like we like a little bit of change here, so it's all good. Our phone number is 617-770-3030, Why don't we give away a couple of family four-packs to the Connecticut Auto Show? All you need to do, it's pretty easy, call in and say, hi, I want to go to the Connecticut Auto Show and just talk to Jeff. and take, He'll take down your name and address. And I know Connecticut's a little bit far away, but if you're listening, depending where you're listening from, it's not that far. 
It's only a couple weeks away, so we have some tickets to give away. So we'll give them away as uh, family four-pack tickets. So 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. You can get tickets to the Connecticut Auto Show. And uh, I don't know, it sounds like $40 worth of tickets to me. Don't go sell them on eBay afterwards, that's all. I suppose you could. Who would know? But don't, you know, don't do that. Uh, the um, Junior D'Amato, you remember Junior D'Amato. He's on here periodically. He sent me an article that he wrote for some publication. He actually faxed it to me because he couldn't, he, he got the wrong email address for me. And his the question that someone wrote into him was, why do I see so many import vehicles on the road? Versus American brands. I cannot remember the last time I read a review of a GM car or truck in the newspaper. What's going on? And he said, last week I drove into Boston to buy my wife a certified pre-owned one-year-old import. On our way, we counted the brands of vehicles we saw on Route 93. We did see a lot of Jeeps, especially Wranglers. As for Ford vehicles, the Explorer had a heavy presence with the majority of vehicles were Toyotas, Hondas, Nissans, Kias, Hyundais for, for pickup trucks. Uh, Ford had the most, followed by GM and Dodge. So what happened to the big three? Simple. This is Junior talking. The white-collar, uh, big-paid executives made too much money and didn't care about the buyers. I had a personal experience with poor quality vehicles and no support from the zone office. This goes back to my very first car. His very first very first new car, I guess, which was a Corvette. My very first new car was not a Corvette. Um, that had an engine failure. GM would not stand behind the internal uh, engine crankshaft damage. What about the junk diesel engines that failed? Power steering racks, units, head gaskets, and... Uh, rotted brake lines on all the pickup trucks that were in the uh, snow belt. Ford had their problems with intake manifolds, cylinder heads, cylinder head bolts, broken spark plugs, spark plug threads on gas engines, and um, failing heater boxes. Next were the diesel engines that, uh, in most cases, um, the cab of the truck had to come off to fix them. Uh, Dodge had their own problems, uh, not as severe as GM, but Dodge did have a, a lot of um Steering box internal problems as well, also a lot of transmission problems. The big three uh, need to wake up if they want to continue to sell vehicles. Look at what Hyundai and Kia did. Uh, Fifteen years ago, their cars were really bad, and today they're one of the best, with the best warranty in the industry. I'd love to see the big three make a comeback. However, that would take a complete makeover starting from the top. They listen to all of their former. They need to listen to all their former buyers. Uh, they turn their backs on and made them buy the import brands. They have purchased year after year. Just ask people uh, you work with or any of your friends what um, you know what kind of cars they have. This is not rocket science. It's just helping the customer. I'm sure the big three still have uh, plenty of their former buyers that had problems that were not solved. They should just send those people a nice big rebate check of eight to ten thousand dollars for a new vehicle. That's what Junior thinks. So, uh, kind of an interesting, kind of an interesting uh, take on it. Um, you know, Junior's Junior's been writing in. And broadcasting and talking about cars for a long time, and he has has his uh, um, his his opinions. I remember uh, John White, the uh, the original, well, one of the first auto writers at the Boston Globe. Uh, I remember him and him and uh, and John having a conversation about, you know, part of the problem with General Motors was. Um, 
how the executives looked at taking care of their consumer. So, well, we gave away a some tickets, but we have more to give away. So if you want tickets to the Connecticut Auto Show, not the Boston Auto Show, the New England Auto Show is coming up uh, after the first of the year, uh, Martin Luther King weekend. We will have tickets to give away to, for that, as well as we will have tickets to um, the RV show. So the RV show takes place the same weekend. So we'll have tickets to the RV show and the auto show. So we'll have we'll have some uh, we'll have some good stuff to give away. So if you want tickets to the Connecticut Auto Show, just give us a call at 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030, and just talk to Jeff. You don't even have to go on the air unless you want to go on the air. Unless you want to, unless you want to talk to us, uh, I'd like to. I'd like to have you talk to us. I want to talk about the car that got me here today, which was the 2017 Jeep Compass Latitude Edition. The Compass comes in both front and all-wheel drive. Our model was the front-wheel drive version. The Compass is powered by a 2.4-liter four-cylinder engine connected to a six-speed automatic transmission. The engine makes about 180 horsepower, but still feels like it needs some more. Um, it does feel a little lacking in the horsepower category sometimes. The ride and handling are dramatically improved over previous version. Bumps in the road are taken with ease. Overall handling, both around town and out on the highway, is much improved over previous models, but still not quite as good as some of the best compact SUVs. And the Compass is a compact SUV, not a subcompact. That would be the Renegade. It's sort of competitive with a RAV4 or a Honda CRV. Think, think that kind of category. I would also expect uh, the all-wheel drive version of the Compass to be a very competent off-road vehicle uh, for both New England winters and some mild off-roading. And, you know, I don't think it's anything you want to take on the Rubicon Trail. The interior of the Compass is uh, pretty comfortable and supportive, although I'd like to see a little bit more thigh support on the seats. Quality of the materials is actually very good. Uh, it looks like they may have raided the Grand Cherokee bin when they were when they were looking for some uh, quality of materials, uh, uh, just overall, it, it feels it feels uh, not compact. It feels more of a, a a better quality vehicle all the way around. Visibility is good with little or no blind spots. The rear seat can get a little bit cramped if the front seats are pushed all the way to their most rearward position. But they have the seats sculpted in such a way where you actually have pretty good legroom. I, I carry a uh, backpack with me that I have all my stuff in that. I go from car to car or work to work with, so if I have to go out and do a presentation, I have all my junk in there. And like everything in life, you start you start off kind of with the bare necessities and you just add to it, but you never seem to throw things away. When I put it behind the rear, the front seat, uh, I find myself moving the seat up a little bit, putting the seat back, and it doesn't quite squish it back there, but it comes, it comes a little bit close. Uh, I sat back there with the front, like I do with every car, I sat in the back seat with the front seats all the way back. Not bad. Um, but, uh, you know, somebody with real long legs might feel a little bit tight back there. Um, Jeep used a few, not necessarily new ideas, to maximize storage. There's about 27 cubic feet of cargo storage behind the back seat, which isn't quite as much as some other compact SUVs. However, the rear seats fold pretty flat, as does the front passenger seat, so you can carry long items. Again, nothing new. Um but handy for carry something long enough uh, that you want to keep out of the weather or you don't want to get dirty, uh, whether it's a, a ladder, for instance, or some, something you want to put inside the car without having to bounce around the roof. Um, kind of nice for that. Our Jeep had the optional power lift tailgate. I'm still, I, I'm still up, 
I'm still on the fence about the whole power tailgate thing because this morning I left the house, it was probably quarter or seven, and when I opened the tailgate with even the handle, it kind of beeped a couple of times, which is probably not something my next-door neighbor wanted to hear. Uh, so, yeah, I, I, a manual tailgate is just fine. Uh, because I, I had I had a, a couple of errands I wanted to do. We were uh, we're we're cooking out on the grill last night. Ran out of propane, so I had to put the propane tank in the back. Uh, I wanted to get some uh, gasoline for the. Maybe this will be the last lawn mow of the year. I hope, uh, and 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 crunch up a whole bunch of leaves. Um, so I wanted to get some gas gas for the the lawn mower, but also gas for the. Get ready for, unfortunately, that other four-letter word, snow. So uh, you know, there's, so there's that. So I was out getting gasoline and trying to get propane, which wasn't it. I figured somewhere between my house and Marina Bay, there was a place to buy propane. There isn't, or not where I could find it. Um, uh, there, like I said, there are plenty of uh, um, cubbies and bins throughout the cabin. Uh, to keep phones and all the other stuff we tend to bring with us. Uh, so that's kind of nice. There's also several 12-volt power points, USB slots to keep you connected and charged. The bottom line, uh, Jeep now has a competitive vehicle in the compact SUV segment. Uh, base price, $24,295. Our price as tested with the the power t- uh, power lift gate and some other power options in the vehicle, uh, $31,000. So Jeep Compass Limited Edition. Uh, Latitude edition, I'm sorry. So there you go. 617-770-3030. 617-770-3030 is how you get through and talk to us. We have we have uh, plenty of plenty of things to talk about, but I'd like to talk to you. Remember, you're listening on WROL in Boston. BMW is calling back about 1.4 million cars to address one or two issues that could cause them to well, catch fire. I hate it when that happens. Um, even and in this case, it's even when they're not being operated. So the larger recall involves 740,000 six-cylinder versions of the company's 1 Series, 3 Series, 5 Series, X3, X5, Z4 models sold between 2007 and 2011. So if you own a 1 Series, 3 Series, 5 Series, X3, X5, or Z4, with the six-cylinder engine in it, uh, in those vehicles, the positive crankcase ventilation valve's heater can overheat, melt, and ignite. BMW dealers will replace the heater with an updated unit. Specific models under the recall are 2007 to 2011 328i, 328xi, and 328i xDrive. 2007 to 11 525-525xi, 528xi, and 530i. 2007 to 11 X3 and the X-Drive 3.0i, 07 to 11 X5 with the 3 liter, or 3.0 is what they call it, Uh, 07 to 11 Z4, so if you have a a little sports car, or if you happen to have a 2008-2011-128, well, you might want to get that fixed because... The way they describe it, according to the NHTSA bulletin, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration bulletin, is 
They're not aware of any injuries related to the faulty valve heater, but the government says the cars pose a fire risk even when they're not being driven. So I hate that. I hate it when the, the car can catch fire when it's not being driven. The second recall covers 673,000 examples of the brand's three-series lineup built between 06 and 07. In those cars, electrical wiring for the climate control system can overheat, melt the electrical connectors. Four injuries have been traced to the wiring, which NHTSA says can also catch fire, even when the vehicle's ignition is off. So I guess the bottom line is if you own one of these BMWs, um, my suggestion would be don't park it in the garage. Uh, but uh, so some of those you want to have taken care of. And that even includes the uh, 335 diesel version. Uh, BMW says it will begin notifying owners of the affected vehicles soon, and the dealers will start uh, replacing faulty parts beginning in two months. Not even, Well, not quite two months. December 18th. So a month and a, you know, five weeks from now. So, hmm, hmm. Uh, our phone number is 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. Let's talk to Paul. Hello. Hello, Paul. Yeah, good morning, John. Good morning. Quick question. I have a 2011 Ford Explorer, which is turning uh, 100,000 miles this week. Okay. I scheduled a 100,000-mile um, a checkup with a AAA certified repair shop that I've always found to be reliable and reasonable. Um, but I'm trying to find – I have two – yeah, kind of a two-part question. Um, what do you think I should be having them look at, um, at for about 100,000 miles? And secondly, it's also making a lot of noise on the front end going over bumps, and which I don't think is part of the 100,000-mile checkup. But yeah. what do you think that might be a cause? Yeah, no, what I would start with, what year What year Explorer is it again? 2011. Yeah, um, you know, what I'd start with is um, I would – if you can, I would I would see if you can go out with um, somebody from the shop and go for a ride with them, so they hear the same rattling noise as you hear. That way, yeah. that way you're going. There's not going to be any confusion in you know what what is uh, you know what you're hearing and what they're hearing. More than likely, it is a uh, sway bar link that's making noise, but still you want to you want to have them. You want to make sure you're both hearing the same the same noises, so it's not confused and. And what it could be, and you know what what kind of things could possibly go wrong. The hundred thousand mile service is, you know, it, it's kind of funny. It's it's years ago when you thought about things like a hundred thousand mile service, you would almost think about, well, at a hundred thousand miles, maybe I ought to, uh, you know, replace the radiator because I want the car to be as as good as as good as can be. Now it's pretty much just more of the same. So it's. You know, you you look at the ball joints, you look at the brakes, you you replace the cabin air filter if it's been a while. You look at the, um, you know, the 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 axle shafts to see if there's any that boots problems. Replace the coolant, uh, inspect the rest of the cooling system. Maybe replace the the serpentine drive belt if it's been on there for a long time. If it's been, they, they, they suggested that. Yeah, yeah. You know, not not a bad idea at all. Um, is same thing with the uh, with the regular air filter in the car. Uh, transmission fluid, unless the transmission fluid shows any signs of contamination, I'd probably just leave it alone. Um, if it shows, if it's uh, Ford transmission fluid tends to be a nice red color. If it's starting to turn a little bit brown, maybe think about replacing it. Um, 
you know, obviously an oil change. Uh, it's it's time for it's time for a spark plug change. They may be the original in the engine for a hundred thousand miles. I think they are. Yeah. So you know, replacing the spark plugs is um, is a good idea. And really, after that, it's a it's just a check to make sure that there's nothing else falling out from under the vehicle. So um, really, what it comes down to, coolant. Make sure the coolant's in good shape. Um, replace the plugs. Uh, cabin air filter and regular air filter. Oil change, of course, you know, because. Uh, look at all the other vital fluids. If anything looks really dirty, take care of it. Um, and then look at steering and suspension and make sure there's no real problems. Other than that, it's just a continuation of regular routine maintenance. Okay, car's been a good car. It's been well-maintained and... Um no, it's just had all the regular, all the regular service with the dealers. I had a, I had a 75,000 mile warranty, so it was, it was been well taken care of, and um, I'm, I'm reluctant to get rid of it since it's working so well. Yeah, and, you know, and why should you? You know, there's no reason why it still couldn't continue and, and do its job for many more years to come. But again, do that kind of preventative, you know, preventative maintenance to make sure it's okay, and you should be, you should be in good shape. Great. Uh, and uh, the second question I had, I was, I wonder if you, are you going to talk anything today about the the uh, team driving seminar that you went to this week? Uh, I, I'm very interested in that because um, I think I mentioned to you this too in the past. I have a program going to be putting on the local high school this year, and uh, I'm, I'm trying to get any other ideas that uh, that, that may have come out of that uh, that seminar. Well, uh, uh, yes, yes, I will, and uh, and I'm still trying to work on trying to help you out with that. I I brought it up to my boss again, so. Oh, that's good. Okay. Yeah, so hope hope you get that off the ground. I I think it's going to it's, it's going to be very timely. All right, all right. Thanks, Paul. I I thank you. All Bye. right, take care. Bye bye. Our phone number again, 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. Phone lines are open if you want to join us. Uh, what Paul was talking about, and Paul is uh, Paul's a good guy. Uh, he is, uh, among other things, follows me on Facebook or friends me on Facebook or whatever proper terminology is. And um, he, uh, he noticed that I posted some pictures about a teen driver summit that we did in Dedham this week. This is the second one we did. And this was a pretty busy week. Monday, we had a luncheon up at the Burlington Marriott for um, sort of, call it 128 East, kind of the area where um, cities and towns were recognized for their safety efforts uh, protecting protecting their citizens' lives, and um, we gave out some awards. Uh, uh, towns had to fill out an application, uh, and also they got to nominate what we called a traffic safety hero, somebody who's done a good job in their town, uh, whether it's a good job, you may not think this is a good job, but a good job giving out tickets, or whether it's a good job uh, doing things like putting in kids' car seats, um, community, community people, whatever the case is, and we had a luncheon for them at the Burlington Marriott, gave them an award, took their picture, and then tried to promote, you know, how, how they did their job. And they had to fill out this application, and how they filled out the application uh, kind of determined the level of award bronze, silver, gold. And we used to do it based on towns without pedestrian fatalities, but we had trouble trying to get that, those statistics. So it was uh, we have them do a little bit of work on their part, 
And, for instance, my town, my little town of Abington, um, this year they gave the Traffic Safety Hero Award to the mechanic at the DPW. And I kind of liked it because last year they gave it to the guy who runs the DPW. But he said, you know, we can't keep the streets plowed. We can't keep the streets in the condition that they are without the guy who fixes the trucks. And I kind of liked that idea. I thought it was a, I thought it was a really good idea. We also had a woman, I forget exactly, and I apologize because I don't remember where she was from, but she has been a school safety, um, um, school crossing guard for years, for something like 40-some-odd years. And she said to me, the only time I ever missed time at my post was when I was having chemotherapy. And that was the only time she ever missed her job. She said, other than that, every single day there was a school day, and when they needed me for special occasions, I was always at my post helping the kids cross the street safely. So you, you talk to these people that are that dedicated and do that kind of job, it's always, it's always a good thing. So we had that one in uh, Burlington, and then Thursday we had one in Rhode Island to do sort of the th- same thing, to recognize the traffic safety heroes and the cities and towns down there, as well as the cities and towns that didn't have pedestrian fatalities, because Rhode Island being a little bit smaller state with only 39 cities and towns, it's a little easier for someone to keep track of if a pedestrian um, uh, was uh, injured or killed. So it was a little bit easier to do. But in between the middle of this week, we had a teen uh, driver summit, and that's what we called it. And we had it at the Holiday Inn in Dedham, and it was open to driver ed teachers, guidance counselors, health teachers, police officers. In fact, uh, the uh, Massachusetts Safety Officers League, which is uh, not as big a group as it used to be, because when I when I first joined, because everybody's police department's cut down, so the idea of having a separate safety officer is a little harder to do. Uh, but it's uh, it's still a very active group, and and I and I said to them, we're having the summit on on this day. Why don't you have your meeting here at the same time? And basically, it's a free lunch. So you come and you can have your meeting. You can learn some stuff, and you can have lunch, and go home. So it's a so it's a not a not a bad any day. You get a free lunch is a pretty good day. So uh, so they they came. So it was we had police officers well represented. We had schools well represented, and we had probably a couple of dozen maybe even more um high school kids and we had some we had some really interesting guest speakers we had um old buddy of mine art kinsman who used to be with AAA, and now he is the i'm going to call him the director of the national highway traffic safety administration region one which means he handles all of the nitsa um areas within most of New England. So uh, he was there. He said, he said a, f- a few words to the group. And he was around originally. He worked for the Michael Dukakis administration. And uh, when there was a seatbelt bill way t- a long time ago in Massachusetts, he was actually one of those people that worked with the seatbelt bill And when he was just out of college. And then he worked for AAA for a bunch of years. Then he uh, was uh, worked for Highway Safety and now at NHTSA. Also, we had Jeff Larson, who is the Highway uh, 
Highway Safety Administrator from Massachusetts, Jeff, good guy. And you might say, Jeff Larson, I know that name. He was a traffic reporter on Channel 5 for a bunch of years before, before, he, uh, before he took the job at Highway Safety. And then we also had a woman who came up from Virginia whose daughter was, um, not daughter, whose sister was killed in a car crash because I believe another driver fell asleep. And then we had a, a doctor who talked about the effects of ADHD on teens and how attention deficit disorder can have a real effect with teens uh, and their driving ability. Uh, we also had uh, uh, Jim Butcher, who's the head of, I think the head of, um, in, uh, in Barnesville County, the probation officers. And he was there because his, I believe it was his daughter was killed, and he showed some footage of, of what happened at court and all of that, and very emotional. And then we had some things that weren't emotional. We had Rick Burt, who was, who was the, technically the acting CEO of SAD, Students Against Destructive Decisions. And I don't know, he, he looks like he's just out of high school, but I'm sure he's a little bit older than that. But he has a very young personality. And he got the kids up, and they were doing some stuff. But he was also talking about, you know, some of the problems you can run into as a, as a, a, a teenager with um, other kids in the car, you know, drunk driving, all, all those kind of issues. But he made it very, very entertaining. And then we, um, we took a little break for lunch. And then we had a local woman, Joni Ciani. She is from, I think she's from Braintree. And she did a, she, she has actually put a movie together called Selling Your Soul, which is about essentially doing a digital cleanse. So putting your phone away, not using it. Um, because uh, first off, if you're under 18, you can't use a cell phone in a car anyway. If you're a driver, it's totally prohibited. Uh, but for, for, Anytime, you, anytime you're talking on a phone, you're not paying attention to driving. That's what it basically comes down to. And even though we want to pass a law in Massachusetts to ban handheld phones, we really know that uh, cell phone conversation can be a problem when you're driving down the road because you're not paying attention to the vehicle. You're paying attention to the conversation. I kind of do just the opposite. If I am on the phone, I pay attention to the driving, and the person on the other end of the phone kind of goes, hey, are you listening to me? And my answer usually is no. Uh, because uh, first off, I don't really probably want to talk to him, and um, and then uh, I'm just not paying that much attention. So she tries to get kids to uh, put their phones down and start to interact with other kids, and it's it's uh, and she brings it up, and and people that deal with kids all the time, they'll see that you know four or five kids are sitting together, not talking to each other, and they could very well be texting and Snapchatting with each other. And they're, they're literally two feet away from each other, and they're sending each other messages rather than talk with each other. And that's one of the, that's one of the issues that comes up with this whole um, digital technology that we're in. And even though we were talking about how uh, cars are, are mobile offices uh, and the new cars are even going to be more of that, uh, we have to find a way to do it safely. And Joni has come up with this. You know, she came up with it. She wrote a book called Selling Your Soul. And then she also put a movie together called Selling Your Soul. And it, it's uh, for uh, Paul with his uh, Teen Driver Summit, if he could get somebody in like Rick Burt from SAD or Joni Ciani from, from Braintree, 
you know, th- those are those are some. They're funny guests too. They're they're um, they make they make the kids laugh. They embarrass the kids a little bit with some of the questions they ask. But it's uh, it's it's a very entertaining time. And I talked to some of the kids afterwards, and some of the kids were like everybody else. Some were really moved by some of the emotional stories. And some of them were really moved by the fun stuff. And, you know, it's sort of the old story is if you can put 85 people in a room and you can change some culture for a couple of them and potentially save lives, that's a good one. The other the other uh, couple of people we weren't able to get and I, I think would have been good is Dan Strollo from the In Control Advanced Driver Training School. Uh, Dan's, Dan's a real good guy. And uh, talking about teen driving and ki- or driving and kids, um, good good for him. So, and and Paul was trying to put something together with his group uh, up in the Somerville area, and we're going to see if we can try to help him out with that too. Our phone number, the phones are kind of quiet today. Six one seven seven seventy thirty thirty six one seven. 770-3030. Remember, if you want a family four-pack of tickets to the Connecticut Auto Show, uh, it takes place down in Hartford at the, I'm going to call it the Hartford Convention Center because I don't know what else to call it. Uh, but it's in Hartford, and it's a convention center, and, and it has a new name. It's been renamed something else. But um, but it, it's, uh, it's a three-day show, and supercars, electric cars, a lot of cars, and free tickets. And you stop somewhere in between, and you get pizza at uh, one of those legendary uh, pizza places, brick oven pizza places in the area. So, uh, Sal's or can't remember the other one, Tony something. I don't know. But you see the you see the billboard signs on the highway, and, and it's a it's a um, sort of a thin crust pizza. So anyway. Um, this comes from the uh, NACERA, the uh, National, uh, they're the New England Service Station Repair Owners Association. And the president of NACERA is uh, Rusty Savignac. Um, and he is now, he, I believe he closed his business. And he has a new business. He's a mobile guy assisting shops with diagnosis and programming, which was one of his specialties when he owned his shop. And he says, I get to see many different shops and modes of operation. In many cases, the shops have done their homework, and the issue they're dealing with and challenges my skill. But sometimes I found the root of cause quickly and easily, not because I'm a sorcerer applying magic, but because of techniques and tips I've learned in countless trainings offered. We got a car that keeps getting a PO300 misfire code. Uh, we turned it up, did a, tuned it up, did a fuel system cleaning a few weeks ago, cleared the codes, let it go. It came back. Tech found misfire codes on cylinder four. He says it's got a rough idle. He tried swapping um, the coil and injector, sprayed some carb cleaner around, looking for possible vacuum leak. Still not fixed. Can you come and look at it? Fairly quick look at the way it starts and runs and misfires. Corroborates the text findings on a rough idle. I found it smoothed out at a raised idle speed and put it under a load. The fuel trims didn't support a vacuum leak. In about two minutes, I did a relative cranking compression test with a scope and was fairly sure it had low compression on one of the cylinders. I suggested they do a mechanical compression test, and cylinder number four was found to have 80 pounds of um, pressure in the cylinder. A teardown found a leaking exhaust valve. Um, as simple 
you know, this sounds simple, relative compression cranking tests. Emails you probably aren't up to speed with some clever techniques that help us find engine mechanical issues rather easily. Now, this is kind of interesting because this is where everybody wants to go after a, uh, everybody wants to go after a computer problem when, in fact, there still is mechanical problems. Says I've another one. He says I've got a 05 Yukon XL with a charging system problem that we can't find. It'll stop charging from time to time. The headlights will dim. The HVAC blower slows down. When this happens, we find the voltage under 12 volts. We put two alternators in, tried another battery, made sure the serpentine belt isn't slipping. My tech says it might need a PCM. Can you come and look at it? A quick look, and he found that the truck has a generator battery control module, which regulates the alternator output based on system loads. A few quick circuit tests and grabbing a multimeter showed the module was dropping uh, alternator control intermittently. The module was replaced, and he went back to program it. Um, See yourself in one of those, perhaps. Most newer vehicles have some module control of the charging system to prolong battery life, uh, minimizing alternator load and thereby increasing fuel economy. This shop could have programmed the the, um, module itself with a J2534 device and a $55 short-term subscription to GM service programming system. Uh, Same thing, we got a focus with a battery issue. They thought it needed a battery because the customer said it would go dead overnight. They installed a new battery, no no answers. My tech thinks it's parasitic drain on a little under one amp, so he set up a multimeter and began pulling fuses to isolate the circuit. But when he removes and replaces some of the fuses, the car wakes up and he has to wait 45 minutes to do more testing. The customer is getting irritated. Things are taking up so long, and it's also taking up space in the shop. I told him to open all the doors and hood and latch all of the latches and uh, see what happened. He arrived and accessed the fuel box. In just minutes, they found a small voltage drop across a fuse that powered the cluster. They pulled and unplugged the cluster, and the battery drawer went down to a normal 15 milliamps. A little research showed a TSB for this issue that, of all things, caused for cleaning of mold from the printed circuits around the cluster and applying some dielectric compound that's fixed the car. So, you know, sometimes they're easy, sometimes they're not, but either way, they're worth taking a look at. Uh, let's take a call. Let's talk to John. Good morning, John. Hi, John. How are you, sir? We got a little bit of and uh, just wanted to give a call and talk about Tesla Model 3 and what's going on in Tesla through the grapevine, though, I'm talking. Uh, all right, I'm not good. A I got signed with a stockholder, and we just went out to California, and the meeting was either canceled or postponed for a while because the uh, prototype of a big electric truck, he's trying to get into trucks, Held at the port coming from China, the prototype. Mm-hmm. Uh, the ports are unionized and they're doing everything they can to hold it up and he couldn't get the truck at the meeting and they're really raking through the coals for not being unionized. He made, I think they get paid about $40 an hour. And, um, he made a mistake, uh, he was saying by not going to Alabama setting his plant up because, you know, kind of spoiled out in California, you know, they want to give him $100 an hour. And uh, he couldn't get the truck in for the meeting and the Model 3, he said, is being they're hand building them pretty much three or four a day. The problem is the uh, production equipment, the robotics coming. I say the Michigan company. I'm not going to name any companies. Mm-hmm. The Michigan companies who are unionized along with the unions and the ports in Canada, some of the equipment. They're holding the assembly equipment and the production of that equipment up. Huh. So therefore, he can't produce the Model Three. They're doing everything they can to rake them through the coals. And not they want to see him be successful. That's four hundred thousand customers. They're not going to have. And at least they want to catch up technology-wise with electric vehicles. But they don't want to see him have a Model 3. They don't want to see him have a, mo- a truck, an electric truck van, which he's planning to do, a big electric truck he's trying to do. Yeah, I saw, I, saw, I saw a picture of the uh, 
the electric tractor on a on a flatbed. So it was being shipped somewhere. I don't know. I don't know where. Well, it was a prototype made in China. He yeah. said, but it's at the docks, held up for weeks, and they yeah. just can't get it through. I mean, all kinds of red tape. He's a unionized, and unions are doing this. Yeah. Huh. And the Model Three is being held up because he can't get the equipment to build it. Yeah. No, I I heard the I actually heard the Model Three may have been a may have been a yeah, and you, 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 maybe it is because he can't get the equipment. But I heard there was some. Uh, there was some quality issues as they were trying to put it together, or some, or some technology issues. So it was probably a combination of all of it. But it'll be interesting to see. You know, years back, and I've said this now for so long that it's, it's probably less than accurate. But years back, I said when Tesla and Fisker first introduced their vehicles, and you got to remember when Tesla first introduced a vehicle, it was really it it was a. Uh, you know, it wasn't even their car. It was a it was a car that they it was a car they pulled the drivetrain out of and put an electric motor in, and it was a little two seater sports car. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then uh, Fisker had their car, which was basically a Chevy Volt type drivetrain stuck in a very fancy car. And I said, you know, I think what history will say, uh, you know, a hundred years from now or however many years from now. They'll look back at Fisker and Tesla like they looked at looked at Tucker and said, you know, they had a good time. They were an interesting company. Uh, they had fun. They built some innovative products, but they didn't take over for General Motors or Toyota or Volkswagen. Um, I was right about Fisker, although Fisker's still trying to the company is still trying to make cars with. Chinese input, I think. Um, I think a Chinese company brought that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and, Tes- back, and yeah. Tesla. I mean, Tesla's got plenty of money, so you know it's not like it's not like there's a it's not like there's an issue with Tesla and financial. But you know, it is always interesting when you look at when you look at businesses and how they have to compete with other businesses. If you look back in history, and we've had we've had a few automotive historians on over the years, you know, they look back at a lot of the original car companies. Most of them all went bankrupt, mm-hmm. and. And you know, and it was only because of mergers and acquisitions and mergers and acquisitions that kept those kept those companies around. You know, we were talking about the you know the the um, luxury electric vehicle is going to be on display at the Connecticut Auto Show, and how that was a true luxury car of the time, and it was a car that Henry Ford bought for his wife so she could drive it. Um, but you know, where you know, where's the Detroit electric? car company today it doesn't exist and you look at a lot of those car companies most of them ended in some form of bankruptcy although the owners still lived a pretty good life so it's not like you have to feel bad for anybody but most of them didn't didn't end that well so who knows what well, well in the 40s and 50s yeah until the 60s there was no interest in electric vehicles right. until environmental and then the gas price 70 so that's why the electric pretty much died. Oh yeah, ten cents, fifteen cents, twenty cents a gallon. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and you know the same thing. This, you know, and and we're gonna let you go. But the same thing we also saw was the the electric cars of the twenties really weren't a lot different than the electric cars of the sixties. They only they did about the same thing. They went about fifty miles between charges and did you know thirty five or forty miles an hour, and that's about all they did. Hey, good conversation, John. Okay. Thanks for calling. That's okay. That's like right to the grapevine. Yep. Uh, hey, hey, we always like rumors. All good. Uh, let's go over to Mike. Hey, Mike. Michael. Yes, good morning, John. Uh, good morning. Hi, good morning, How John. How are you? Good, sir. Thank you. Um, question about automatic high beam systems. Okay. Um, I have 
I have one on my car, and I was wondering if you could share maybe any of your experiences. Um, I brought it to the dealer. Basically, you know, you turn the headlights on, and you get the icon on the dash, mm -hmm. the upside-down incandescent yep. bulb. Yep. Then on the dashboard, you push the button for the automatic high beam, and the sideways-looking light with the word auto comes on in green, and then you push the stock forward in the high beam, and that activates mm -hmm. the uh, system. Okay. Um, you're going along, and for no apparent reason, the green auto icon goes out, at which point you would expect the high beams to come on because you're in a dark road mm -hmm. and that kind of thing. And then for no other reason, it will come back on and start to work. So the gentleman that I was working with at the dealer gave me this green sheet and said, you know, there's the parameters, and it talks about 21 miles per hour um, for it to come on and then 27 to go off. He gave me the, you know, the sheet, and I'm sure he looked at me like I have three heads. Um, but this thing is going off at 40 miles an hour when you're on a road that's dark, no lights. And I was wondering, is it normal operation for the auto headlight icon to go off on the dashboard by itself and then come on by itself? You know, you don't touch the switches or anything. It just happens. Uh, Have you had any experience that's supposed to be a normal operation? And yeah, I think, and then I, think, I think it is, but i got to tell you, every time I get in a car that has automatic high beams, the first thing I do is shut them off. Uh, <laughs> because, because I find they're, and I don't care what kind of car it is, I find they're just annoying. They're, they're never on high beam when I want them to be, and they, they <laughs> and they don't seem to react as quick as I want them to react when I see somebody else coming the other way. So, okay. um so usually what happens, and some make it a little easier than others to find out how to disable them, but I don't find, to me it's a technology that, and let me back up a little bit, most cars when they're on low beams, you don't get enough light on the road to see further than you can see at 45 miles an hour. So if you're doing 50 miles an hour on low beam with your headlights on low beams, you're actually not able to see you're actually covering more distance than your headlights allow you to see with most cars. So really above 45 miles an hour or so, you probably should have your lights on high beams anyway if you're on a, if you're on a fairly dark road. Um, but what I find is, there, and there's this one road near where I live, and it's, a, it's, a, it's, it's got a fair amount of houses on it, but I think it has one street light on it, and it's maybe a half a mile long. And I want to put the high beams on, when I'm on that road because I have got, I have seen a couple of deer run through there before. So I want to be able to look way down the road and look for stuff coming down. And the automatic high beams, for some reason, on that one particular road, always want to shut off because I think it picks up a reflection from some of the houses or it picks up some light from, from you know, people's porch lights or whatever the case is. So it starts off, I go around the corner, the high beams flip on because it's dark, and then next thing you know, they flip back off again, and I'm like, no, no, I want them on here. This is where I want to see them, or else, just the opposite, same road. Um, I'll have the I'll have the high beams will be on, and somebody will be coming down the street, and it's sort of a, it's a I'm going uphill, they're going downhill, and I'll want to turn my headlights on low beam so I'm not bothering them, but the automatic system because I think of the angle of the road doesn't shut the lights off right away. So um, so then I'm trying to figure out how to shut the lights off. And so, again, it's, it's one of those things that it sounded like a pretty good idea, but 
I don't think it's any better than it was when Cadillac put it in in, you know, the 1950s. Yeah, you know, it's interesting. It, they, they seem to work pretty well when they're working. It's just I wanted to know, is 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 it okay for that, or is it the way they set it up, that the icon goes off and comes back on in the dash for no apparent reason? It's not just this one road. It's in any situation, 40 miles an hour, 30 miles an hour, different roads. It just goes off, no high beam at all, and then comes back on, and yeah. you could be doing half of the road. And it's just it's yeah, just that, a strange. Yeah, what kind, what kind of car is it? All right, it's a 2016 Lexus ES300H. Hmm. Let's see. Let's see if. And you know, John, they actually work pretty well. And I know what you what you mean. You know, sometimes I'll go to get ready to to do it myself, and it'll take care of it automatically. But idea of this icon just going off on the dashboard hmm. for no apparent reason, then coming back on. I was wondering, is that the way it's supposed to operate? And I think the guy, you know, looks at me and says, you know, you're not or whatever. He probably, looks at, he probably looks at you and know, goes, what do you care? You know. <laughs> I know, but the problem is then the, the automatic hybrid should be coming on, and they're not. Yeah. There's a situation where they should be, and they're not, and then the icon comes back on, and everything works fine, and I'm just trying to understand it. Like, but yeah. maybe you said, yeah. turn it off. Yeah, and, and, and you, you hate to look at some stuff like that, and um, but, uh, yeah, 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 I, I, yeah, it probably, you know, where he had a fact sheet all prepared for it, there's probably something to that that there's there's some there's some issues and and there's probably it probably has to do with a you know there's an ambient light sensor who, who you know it's one of those things that you it's hard to really recognize exactly what it could be but I would at this point kind of write it off as that's probably the way it's supposed to act and why that icon goes off after a certain period of time who knows and they probably actually don't have an answer either it doesn't look like and now they have a lot more late model information than i do but it doesn't look like any kind of technical service bulletin that would describe you know some sort of an issue that i can find right now at least anyway so um i you know i i think at this point um you just kind of keep an eye on it and see what's going on and see if there's some sort of at some point maybe they will come up with a uh, uh, a computer reflash or some uh, firmware update or something to try to see if they can smooth it out a little bit. But right now, I don't see anything at all as far as any kind of update. But like I like I said, I I, I hate to say it, but some some of the new technology to me is almost technology for technology's case. I'm 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 still physically capable to turn the high beams on and off on my own. So. <laughs> Okay, John. Okay. Listen, I appreciate you. All right. For that. Thank All right. Take you. always enjoy the show. Thank you. Right. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye now. Our phone number is 617-770-3030, 617-770-3030. Let's talk to Frank. Hey, Frank. Hey, John Paul. How are you, sir? Pretty good. Listen, I have a uh, 88 Corvette convertible, and uh, I took it for a ride the other night, and I, I thought, and I was confusing myself, that the clutch pedal seemed to be not as stiff, you know, like easier to push down. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, I took it as I went for the ride there, I couldn't start shifting it. It started to uh, disengage the clutch like, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? So I'm saying, when I bought the car a couple of years ago, and I'm not familiar with hydraulic slave uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> clutch pedal, you know, because I had my old car that had a mechanical uh, rod, you know. So... Uh, it always seemed to disengage, like when you had to push it to the floor to, 
to disengage it, transmission, mm-hmm. to shift it. And I said, is this normal? You know, I, I never knew because I'm not familiar with it, you know? Yeah. Um, but now the slave's not working right. Yeah, it's probably either, I mean, it could be the slave cylinder, it could be the master cylinder. Did you check to see if it's out of fluid? Yeah, I did. It's full. It's full, okay. Okay, so now you need now you need to find out whether the, you know, whether it's the the clutch master cylinder or not, um, and and find out and you know it's pretty easy. The problem is, um, they don't put that clutch slave cylinder in a good spot. Um, I don't. I as I as I recall, I don't quite remember, but I think they. Um, no, now I'm at, I, 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 sorry, I actually stopped for a minute to try to look something up. Actually, it doesn't, it doesn't look too bad. It doesn't look, because one of those they put inside the, uh, they put inside the, the, um, the clutch housing, which is, which is no good place to put it. So this is actually oh. mounted externally. So this isn't, this isn't too bad at all. So. Oh, it is on the 88? Yeah, so, um. So there's actually two, uh, Cylinders or whatever. I mean, there's, a, there's one on the firewall. Yeah, that's the that's like a master cylinder. It works just like brakes do. So, right. and then there's a clutch slave cylinder, and you know, to replace a clutch slave cylinder and bleed the brakes at a shop would take about an hour. And uh, if you went out and you bought the you know factory GM slave cylinder, you're going to spend a lot. You're going to spend two hundred and sixty-six dollars and eighty-nine cents, I guess. So. But a good way to do that would be you you would you know have somebody look at it you would um, you would have somebody push on the clutch pedal and see if fluid squirted out the bleed the bleeder screw for the for the slave cylinder and if fluid squirts out well then you know well yeah there's a there's a uh, you know there's it's it's uh, the the uh, master cylinder is doing its job but the slave cylinder isn't so. Then you just replace the slave cylinder, bleed it off, and you should be good to go. Aha, uh-huh. so that's a good way to test it. It's just yeah. there's a bleeder on the... Uh... Yeah. yeah, there's a bleeder right on it. So um, so you would, and, and you, for you know, for whatever reason, how long does this sit between you driving it? Uh, usually a few weeks. A few weeks. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's also, you know, it's old enough, it's old enough now where, how old is 88 to... 2017. It's pretty old, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's also you know some the clutch the clutch uh, both either the slave cylinder seals or the master cylinder seals could have started to dry up over time. You may find that just some fresh brake fluid and uh, bleeding bleeding off the clutch system may bring it back to life at least temporarily. So. Yeah, there's no adjustment though. No, no. There's a little, there's a little tiny adjustment for um, just to take some looseness out of it, but it's it's just a small threaded rod, so there's not much to it for adjustment. So, I mean, if you had to replace the clutch slave cylinder and the clutch master cylinder together, you're going to spend, you're probably going to spend close to 600 bucks for all factory parts. But again, it's not a huge amount of labor either. It's not. It, I was worried that that, like I said, some of these uh, they buried they buried the clutch uh, slave cylinder inside the bell housing, and in that case, all of a sudden you're you're sort of stuck because you're um, you know you got to pull the transmission and the clutch out. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that, that'd be a nice... yours yours is an easier one. 
Don't start yeah. every week or two, because all you're doing all you're doing then is you're just you're just diluting the oil. Start it if you want to start it at all. Start it like every four to six weeks and let it run for like thirty minutes, and then kind of exercise the transmission a little bit. You know, shift it in between gears, uh, but just starting it every week or so. All you're doing is really just starting it up, and when it starts up, it runs a little bit rich. The the gas ends up in the oil, and then you end up with you end up with contaminated oil. Yeah. So better off waiting longer between startups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, and you know, I had a car that I put away for the winter one time, and all I wanted to do was go out and start it up to see if it was okay, and that was actually not the thing you want to do. You're much better off just putting it away, you know, and if you really want to get fancy, you can, you know, you can fog the engine or put oil in the cylinders or whatever the case is, but you're really better off just leaving it alone and going back, going back and looking at it. Or if you do find, a, you know, a nice... Uh, winter day, start it up and actually go take it for a good 60-minute ride so it warms up, then bring it back, clean it, wash it, and put it away, and put it away till the next nice day. Yeah, because I usually start it, I let it run to operating temperature. Yeah, right? sure. oh. yeah but doing but, that doing that every week is actually not as good. For, is not You think you're doing the right thing, but you're not really. Right, I got you. Okay. Okay, thank you very All much, right. John Paul. Okay, take care, Frank. Let's go to Rick. Hey, Rick. Rick? 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 Yep, I'm here. There you are. There you are. Well, uh, I just made a What'd you do wrong, Rick? I don't know. You know, we were talking to you. I don't know where you were, so. I don't know. Yeah. We're just, we're just <laughs> going to blame you. Yeah. Okay, that's fine. All right. I'll take the, I'll take the, I'll take the credit. All right, good. Um, I remember when I was a kid, you know, my grandparents, my dad's parents, Always had to have cameras, and one night we're out in the uh, driveway, and they showed up with a brand new Cadillac with a automatic high beams, you know, switch oh, on yeah. it. You know, yep. And the, my dad was bouncing the light off the garage door, and oh, this how it works. He put his hand in front of the sensor and that back and forth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I and, caught up with, and I don't think I don't think that system worked any better than. Uh, than you know the one in the 2016 Lexus ES. So you know it's just it's more sophisticated. It's got ambient light sensors and all that stuff. But but it's still I don't know. Put the high beams on when you need them and shut them off when you don't. Yeah yeah yeah. I know there's a couple of worlds where you know even with somebody coming at me uh, when I'm on my motorcycle, I like having the high beams up there and that. Yeah, the, the, only, the, the only thing you have to watch out for, and this is for whether you're on a motorcycle or a bicycle or a, in a car, people tend to look at the bright light. So, um, you know, it's, what happens sometimes, and, and, and we find this with roadside emergencies, we've tried to find all kinds of different ways to put the, the strobe lights and the emergency lights away from the vehicle because people are drawn towards the light. So sometimes when they see a bright light, they tend to stare at it, and and it's a funny thing about driving. You tend to you tend to you tend to steer where your eyes go. So um, you know, yeah, I, I understand yeah, that. But this yeah. road, there's deer and geese yeah. and turkeys on it, and <laughs> we don't we don't we don't want to see you ruin that new Indian of yours. So no, I I got a suggestion uh, for your listeners. Sure. You know, um, Thanksgiving's coming up. If you got a really good you know, mechanic, 
stop off at Dunkin' Donuts or Subway or something like that and pick up a ten or fifteen dollar, twenty dollar gift certificate and just gift your uh, mechanic with it. Uh, they appreciate it. Hey, don't just don't buy him a turkey sub. Because, <laughs> you know, Thanksgiving's coming up, you know, so, you know, he'll have enough, he'll have enough, or, or and I hey, don't want to be sexist, he or she will have enough turkey, so, uh, yeah. but, but yeah, you know, I always, uh, you know, whenever I, and I shouldn't say this, because I didn't do it last time, but whenever I bring my car in for an inspection, or whenever I, uh, you know, I very seldomly, you know, bring my car anywhere, but, but when I do, I usually, you know, bring a dozen donuts with me, or, you know, when I, Usually when I go into uh, you know, juniors to get my car inspected, you know, I, I, I usually say to them, you know, you're still drinking, uh, you're still drinking tea with uh, two tea bags and, you know, milk and, you know, Splendor or whatever else he puts in it. And, you know, anybody else in the shop want some coffee or something? Just, you know, just just so they know yeah. you, you know, you recognize them. The other thing I always try to do is I always try to bring them a clean car. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, you know, you know, from I remember, I remember being in a, uh, you know, being in working in a garage. And now, granted, this was a lifetime ago, but some cars you get into, and there was, you know, every fast food wrapper that they ever, ever had a burger from was still in the back seat, or, um, you know, banana peels, or or once, and the woman warned me about it. She said, "Oh, she said I'm a, I'm a scientist, and if you go into the trunk, there is a." dehydrated cat and and i said uh, excuse me and she said well yeah and it was it was kind of like a crayovac cat so and i was like oh uh, but you know just the idea of um just the idea that you, you know don't you know, leave that home leave that home that day you know you didn't you didn't need to see that or or uh, oh by the way my pet snake is in there you know then you don't want your pet snake in the car when i'm working on it it's just no. I don't want to see it. They probably don't want to see me. So, yeah. So, you know, I always say to people, bring bring your, you know, especially if it's a new garage that you haven't been to before, bring them bring them a clean car. Because if you bring them a clean car, they're going to think that you keep your car perfect all the time, and they're going to try to give it back to you as perfect as they can. So, you know, they're going to think the more, the more you take care of your car, the more they're going to try to take care of it, too. And I hate to say it, but sometimes it's, it's you know, your car shows up and it looks like it's a mess, and they're gonna—they may not put as much effort into it as they should. But, but good, but good idea. I, I, um, I think it's a good idea that everybody should kind of get recognized for the work that they do, or, or a little thank you sometimes, and, um, eh, you know, can't hurt, right? Well, you, you respect the, respect the competent people. It's okay to, you know, I know this guy. Stay away from him. You know, tell your friends mm-hmm. that. But it's also, you know, it's a good thing to, yeah, I know this guy, you know, you can go to him, he's good. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Rick, always oh. words of wisdom from you. Well, I don't know about that, John, but that's always nice to talk to you. All have, right. Have a good day. All right, take good care, bye. Rick. Bye-bye. Why don't we take another break, pay some bills? I think we have some bills to pay or something like that. Remember, our program is brought to you in part by Atlantic Toyota. You know Atlantic Toyota up on the Linway and Lynn, where you can see the all-new 2018 Toyota Camry. We'll be right back. Well, the other day I went out my way to some Saturday tracks and I heard was big. My rig is a big old Cadillac towing a big double A that is jet black. The thing on behind is so boss and clean. And all the sandbaggers know it's really a screen. They all... 
Giant Tire Savings continue at all Sullivan Tire and Auto Service locations during our tremendous November sales event. Just in time for the holiday driving season. Buy three, get one free on all Goodyear and Kelly tires in stock. Plus, save up to $200 on select Goodyear tires, such as the new Goodyear Assurance Weather Ready Tire, with all-season performance for tough New England weather. Check out our new website, SullivanTire.com, where it's now easier than ever to find your tires online and make service appointments. That's SullivanTire.com. Toyota is the number one best-selling car in the world. You probably know that. But what you should know is where the best place is to buy the best-selling cars. Look no further than Atlantic Toyota on the Linway in Lynn. Atlantic Toyota in Lynn has the largest selection at the lowest prices. With a friendly and knowledgeable staff, Atlantic Toyota in Lynn can get you into the right Toyota right now. Atlantic Toyota has an extreme clearance event on all remaining 2017 models. Large manufacturer rebates. Low financing as low as 0% on select models. Mention WEZE and you'll receive an additional $500 off all remaining 2017 models with already discounted prices. Supplies are limited, so hurry down to Atlantic Toyota in Lynn for full details. Bring the whole family with a great play area for the kids. Atlantic Toyota in Lynn, the number one place to buy the number one car. Call them at 866-676-4000. Offer may not be combined with any other discounts or offers. Call 866-676-4000 today. I work hard all my life. Six, sometimes seven days a week. My wife's always saying we need a vacation. I said, you know what, honey, you're right. So I went to talk to the City of Boston Credit Union about their vacation loans. They have great rates, great terms. Now we're off to a great vacation. For rates and terms, visit cityofbostoncu.com. Equal opportunity lender. You're listening to The Car Doctor. I like it. Who's that? Don't know. Uh, so you may see Whammo's, Waymo, self-driving Chrysler Pacifica hybrid minivans uh, may soon find themselves uh, to AutoNation. AutoNation is a big uh, new and used car superstore kind of place. They're the largest auto dealer in the United States. And apparently the Google spinoff company, Waymo, when the cars need service, in theory they're going to drive themselves to the service center without a person. So the car's just going to show up at the service center. I wonder if it, like, sends a text message or something. It says, hey, I'm broken. I need to get fixed. But that's what they're saying. Waymo's self-driving Chrysler Pacifica hybrid minivan may soon find themselves uh, driving themselves to AutoNation when they need service. The largest auto dealer in the U.S. Uh, just um, signed a multi-year service deal with Google's spinoff company maintaining its self-driving test fleet in a move that represents a potential statement of intent for both companies. As part of the deal, AutoNation will service not just Waymo's fleet, 
But the self-driving fleets of Waymo's partners as the company continues its aggressive expansion, in addition to its Fiat Chrysler Automobiles partnership, Waymo has deals in place with both Lyft and Avis. In a call with Reuters, AutoNation CEO Mike Jackson, who I think was like CEO of Waste Management or something, or or uh, what was the video? What was the video company? The video video stores that were on every corner. Blockbuster. He might have been from there. Um, the ambition is to grow with Waymo. The only way to get return on a truly autonomous system is on a shared vehicle. And I agree with that. The, the idea of having, and I said this to the reporter at WBZ last night, that in 1990 there was 230 million cars on the road. In 2015, there's 70 million more cars on the road. So, so, I mean, it doesn't sound like that long ago, but in that amount of time, we've added 70 million more cars. And although I, there's times where I, there's nothing I like better than driving. There's times there's nothing I like worse than driving. But the idea of, say, taking 70 million cars off the road and replacing with 7 million self-driving cars doesn't do anything for the roads. But if I had a self-driving car at my disposal, but it sat at work for eight hours, why couldn't that car go out and take somebody to the store, take them to a doctor's appointment, take them to the movies? And then when I come back at 5 o'clock, it's sitting out there waiting for me, and it can drive me home. Or it knows that at noontime I want to go to lunch, and it's out there waiting for me at noontime. And then all of a sudden you have, instead of having a car for me and a car for you, we just have a car for me and we both share it. Whether people really want to share their cars, we'll have to wait and see. Um, AutoNation uh, deal lays the groundwork for a potential wide-scale rollout once the technology is ready. By working with uh, Phoenix, Arizona-based minivan fleet, Waymo and AutoNation gets a trial to logistics of self-driving vehicles as Waymo expands either on its own uh, rumored self-driving car service or one with its existing partners. It would then have a major piece of the proverbial puzzle already solved. For AutoNation, the move points to a business model increasingly reliant on service contracts and repair facilities in the pace of a potentially declining per-unit profits. So some kind of interesting stuff. By positioning yourself in the forefront, uh, looks like stuff's going to happen. And that's why when people say to me, you know, what's your thoughts about self-driving vehicles testing in Boston? I'm like, I'm all for it. We have some of the best technology. We have some of the worst roads. Let them, this is where you, this is where you want to make it, you know, see if you can make it work. Um, and before you put real people in them, let them, let them just do their job the way they're supposed to and, and see how well it works. Something to think about anyway. Um, Finally, if you want to buy a 2017 diesel Ram, you can finally get one. It's taken a couple of months, but the eco-diesel-powered 2017 diesel Ram has begun to show up on dealership lots for the first time since the federal government accused Fiat Chrysler of disclosing or not disclosing software that changed the vehicle's emission. But uh, through uh, FCA received official clearance uh, that they can begin selling the 2017 Ram 1500s and Grand Cherokees powered by the 3-liter eco-diesel. The uh, variants may not be around for long as EPA has yet to certify sales for the upcoming 2018 model year. Some dealers began receiving their first eco-diesel Rams of the year just about a, a couple of weeks ago. According to the uh, dealer websites, others have yet to receive diesel vehicles. They ordered FCA began producing eco-diesels uh, in July. I wonder why they just didn't call them 2018s. Probably would have had to go through another certification process. Uh, 
FCA suspended production of the Eco Diesel Ram and 1500 Grand Cherokees in late 2016 because of, you know, all of the um, potential issues with them. But I guess now they can they've continued to cooperate with the EPA and California Air Resources Board. The automaker said um, in May that it may have has developed an updated emission software calibration that should remedy the problem and make everybody all happy, which is good to see. Well, we're just kind of hanging around here now because the brilliant Bobby Brooks is standing right there. Right there. Hey, how are you? Good. How are you? I am doing fine. And Danny, get the honor to cover for uh, Professor Paul again today. Uh, feeling a little under the weather, Other, still recouping a little. Yeah, bit. well, you know, we just uh, send send him our positive positive vibes and thoughts and all that kind of stuff. So Absolutely. get him get him back in the saddle again before too long. Yeah, we got a couple of replacement folks today. I'm covering for Paul today. Uh, Johnny will be in at four, covering for Bill Bailey. Bill is down in Philadelphia and having some kind of fun with family and things like that. So wow, it's, it's so all good stuff. Get ready. We're we're fired up, Johnny so, and I. So if you're uh, so if you're you're listening to the Irish Parade and all of a sudden you hear these different voices, <laughs> you're gonna think maybe I should have had I should have left that one last Guinness alone. Or something. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> hey, well, you know, it's noon somewhere, Paul. It, it, it is. It is. That's it's always there's nothing wrong with that. Hey. That, that piano guy means it's time for me to go. Uh, so uh, the very best in Irish music. Giddy up. Absolutely, with the brilliant Bobby Brooks. Yeah, B3 is what he calls me. He's out of his mind, that Costello. It's yeah, all good, I know, though. I know. Yeah, but yeah, i got to steal my lines from somewhere. It's all good. So until next week, make sure you wear your seatbelt. Drive safely and be good to your car. Talk to you all next week. Bye-bye. Boston.